Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. folks, welcome into On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Going to talk some Cubs today, and I think my, you know, it wasn't intentional as I was introing that. My, I think my tone matched perfectly my subjective takeaway from the series against the Dodgers this weekend, which was that, you know, I, I don't think I sounded somber. I, I don't think I sounded dejected. Uh, I certainly didn't sound excited sort of a just sort of a flat kind of you know emotionless affect and that's that's if i had to sum it up from this this four gamer against the dodgers in which the dodgers took 3 of 4 a couple of the scores on the dodgers side wound up looking a little crooked but i think the games were more competitive than those scores show really i think the only non-competitive game in the series was the cubs blowout of the dodgers um and so I want to start there, obviously, because now we've gotten in very quick succession. Hey, succession. Love that show. Uh, very quick succession. We've gotten um, matchups against the Dodgers at a time when perhaps they aren't yet clicking fully. Um, and the Cubs, they, they ended up going three and four against the Dodgers in those seven games. And I'm curious your guys' big picture takeaways, because I know that a lot of the quotes that I saw coming out of the clubhouse were, I think, justifiably um, taking a big picture view to when you get to play a team like the Dodgers as sort of a benchmarking opportunity. Okay, how do we stack up? How do we look? And I know, Patrick, you and I talked about this idea of the Cubs looking competitive. Wins, losses, yes, but it's sort of like you want to be able to to see a team on the field that looks like it belongs on the same field as the other team. So I wanted to dig into some of those things before we talk about any, you know, player specific stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we'll get into it. it expo- there was some 
potential flaws exposed, but also, you know, when you beat Julio Urias, when you win games started by Julio Urias, two of those, you should feel pretty good about that. Uh, you know, it, it'd be if this were think about it, if it were a playoff series, that would be kind of unfortunate, right? It'd be technically the Dodgers advance and the Cubs win two games started by Urias. That would be, uh, I think, the topic and the frustration Cubs fans would be feeling like, how do you how does that happen? But uh, this is April and it's more of a measuring stick and it's more about uh, can the Cubs continue to build confidence? Can the Cubs continue to kind of tread water during this really difficult start of the season which may not be as difficult as we envision doesn't this always happen we we look at the schedule and and it's like oh look at this death march through these teams that are just invincible and it's like oh these teams are all like you know kind of average to start the season and haven't really hit their rhythm so maybe the cubs uh, are hitting them at the right time uh well, although strictly speaking Zahadev, mathematically yeah. every team every team is average to start the season just to <laughs> Zero and zero. Just so uh, to to the first few weeks of the season, I mean, the Pirates certainly aren't average. The first few weeks of the season, the Pirates are are you know just a, a powerhouse. Are at they the moment, real right? though? I don't want to. I don't want to totally sidetrack <laughs> this know. thing. Like, I, are, I are they? Too, are the it's Cubs too early real? in the season, I think, to do to do the divisional stuff. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I would say the same thing about the Cubs. I just, I, I would say I like I haven't looked at who's doing what for the Pirates, but I saw Vince Velasquez has started off pretty well. Uh, if I, if I was reading the box score right, so uh, so no, I don't think they're real. <laughs> I'll put it succinctly there. Uh, but um, you know the the Padres haven't started off hot. Uh, the I think the Marlins are annoyingly uh, you know are going to be a little annoying this upcoming weekend. But overall, yeah, I, I mean, I I think it was nice to see them compete against some quality uh pitchers and and the urius games are what, what the ones that stand out to me right you want a really tight close game to end the last series and and they blew them out in in fun fashion on friday was it right uh those are the types of things that stand out they're they're like individual performances that i think uh you'd rather have them in April to figure things out or get, get guys settled or whatever it is. And, you know, they, let's see how they figure those things out and what direction they need to go uh, if they need to make changes and, and when they kind of pull those levers to, to, to kind of give this team a jolt. Uh, if it's May, if it's the middle of the summer, whatever it may be, I, I think we're, you know, it's, it's so hard to say like, this is the Cubs weakness right now, but it's also, it's, it's unfair to say like, dismiss this as a concern at all. I don't watch the Dodgers enough to know the answer to this question, but has there been a better time to play the Dodgers seven times in the last 10 years than this stretch of April right now? Like looking at the staggering amount of talent that's either left Dodger Stadium or is currently on the injured list is kind of mind-blowing. When I sat down yesterday to put together those lists of names, like you could put together an all-star team of, not a full 25-man all-star team, but you you could put together a pretty solid group uh, of guys who are or were Dodgers and who are inactive or departed uh, for whatever reason via free agency. So it does feel a little, I think there was kind of a a flat or a little bit of a a disappointing feeling uh, for the Cubs leaving Wrigley yesterday. I think you're right, Brett, in that the games were competitive, uh, maybe more than the final score indicated, but also like 
you know, the Dodgers found a way and the Dodgers have found a way for the last, whatever, 10 to 15 years. And I think the jury is still out on how the Cubs are going to win the season. And Sahadev's right. Like the lineup looks a lot better than, than we all thought we were recording this show uh, in spring training. And I think Brett, you're right. We were talking about this before we started recording. Like, the cracks are kind of starting to show in, in the pitching staff, and that, to me, I think it's going to be the real interesting thing to see how the Cubs respond here over the next couple weeks. Yeah, let's let's go with that because I think um, it, in some sense, the cracks that we're seeing in the bullpen, not, not player-specific, but sort of the concept of cracks starting to show in late April in your bullpen is something the Cubs contemplated. And it's something they contemplate every year in the construction of their bullpen because they are looking for depth and they talk it up. They talk about their ability to find guys, sort of set them on a good course and get utility out of them. And so in that respect, it's not – I mean concerning is is just the wrong word to use here. I think it's, it's not surprising that the Cubs are dealing with issues in the bullpen. Um but it is now the time when they're going to have to execute on putting the right guys in the right places, pulling those right levers, calling up the right guys, making changes, sitting guys down to let them work. You know, I think I think often about do you remember? Of course, you guys remember. But so to the listeners, do you do you folks remember um, when Craig Kimbrell was so broken um, in his second year with the Cubs? Uh, his first four outings, uh, just absolute disasters, all of them. And the Cubs didn't have a reason or opportunity to place him on the injured list, I believe. But what they did is they worked with him on the fly in sort of certain low leverage spots and side sessions to get his mechanics right. And he came out of that. Uh, he was the best pitcher in baseball for for two months there to end the year. And I think about that often, not because you can expect that out of every pitcher and every time period like this for the Cubs. But it is a reminder that you can have a guy looking completely unusable, completely unplayable, and then do the work and do the things to help get that guy back to to wherever he might be. Now, Kimbrell, where he was, was sort of Hall of Fame level. But for other guys, it's just, you know, quality, serviceable pitchers. And so, I try to remind myself of that when we go through these periods, for example, and I know we'll talk about him with Michael Fulmer, who has a history of big league success, and he has a recent history of of being a very good reliever. Um, and so he obviously has has pitched in an unplayable way to, to date, I would say. It's, it's, and it's, it seems to have only degraded and gotten worse. He's not getting the movement on his pitches. His command is all over the place. Um, it just feels like he he's not executing anything close to what his ability is. And so I do think about when we talk about the Cubs pulling levers, so to speak, we're usually talking about roster moves. We're talking about moving other guys into the right spots or changing their role. But I also think it's things like working with guys to get them right on the fly because you know that the good version of them is still a guy that you want on the roster is still a guy who's going to contribute. And so it's, it's really easy for fans to get up in arms and say, just DFA him, just dump him. It's not working. They got tons of depth, depth at Iowa. Well, you'd pull that lever. You can only pull that one once. And then two months later, you're at 
maybe staring down the barrel of a lack of depth and you're like, ah, crap, we probably should have worked with that guy. So that's something that I think about a lot. And I'm curious your guys' thoughts on that. And and at what point you do start maybe approaching it from more of a roster management perspective. Right. So specifically on Fulmer, I mean, first, what was it? Eight appearances. He had a 33.3% strikeout rate, 6.1% walk rate. Uh, you know, he, ERA he was wasn't smacked, that high. It was, there were a couple, I mean, his, the batted ball was like the three, it was 30% like hard runs, hit rate early. Uh, but they were, but the three, barrel rate was like 17% or something. It, one so when he run. was getting hard, it was one home run. Uh, well, we must this have weekend. We might have different cutoff dates then than what I, what I'm, I I'm looking at before this weekend, before this Dodgers series. So this is okay it, before Thursday. It, it okay, before the, Thursday's game. Yes, yes. It was the Kalenic home run, and that was really the only hard hit ball he'd given up. Uh, he just wasn't giving up a ton of hard contact. Four twenty one BABIP. Uh, he was fine. And then all of a sudden this, this last two games, he looked awful. Like there's, there's no dancing around that. Like two walks, one strikeout, a ton of hard contact. It says over 60% hard contact rate. He looked awful. I mean, there's no denying that he was bad this, this weekend. And I think there's a combination going on here of he was both, uh, you know, he was both not perfect with his command before that uh the some of the like the pitch to Peralta obviously wasn't where he wanted it and he gave up a soft contact to it Uh, but it it felt it went through the hole and 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 that cost them the the one game in LA right and and he was getting he was probably getting around some some of the poor command but they weren't manifesting in walks this this these past two outings just terrible. I think that's a little bit of confidence, right? When you start, when the results aren't going your way, even though you feel good and, and the stuff seems like it's there as far as velocity and everything, then, then you start to question like, well, is, is that all that's wrong? Like what, what else, what else is wrong here? If, if my velocity is right or the numbers look right, the peripherals look right, whatever it is. And you can overthink things and try to fix things and, and uh, and you know that obviously it manifested in what these past two games were, and that's that's not uh, <laughs> that's not acceptable from the closer, right? And I think uh, Ross knows that he gave him that six to it was six to four at the time when he came in on Sunday, and and tried to give him like something where it's like okay, don't think too much, come uh, come try and clean this game up, keep it close. Uh, obviously, didn't work out, and and Fulmer, I'd be surprised if you see him in a in a close situation we'll see what happens I think here's where I get tripped up is is where I start to wonder who's going to close these games if it's not Fulmer because Boxberger doesn't look locked in yet either uh and not that he looks as rough as Fulmer has the last couple outings but he certainly uh doesn't look locked in the problem is Keegan Thompson I don't think he can go back-to-back outings I don't think Keegan Thompson can like it's very clear what type of role he is. When he comes in, he can throw about 30 pitches and then he's down for about three days. Like that's hasn't like, that's been the trend. Like they're not using him just to use him like that. I think that's how his body functions right now. And they're trying to figure out if he can bounce back quicker, if he can pitch back to back days, you can't have a closer that can't pitch back to back days. I mean, it's just not going to work, but he's at first I was a little concerned about the walks with him. He looks locked in. He looks like he's gotten locked in. He looks really good. 
Uh, the last, I want to say the last two outings, it's a total of four innings and maybe one walk, and he just looks really good. He looks he looks like the the best version of Keegan Thompson. I just don't know if he can be your closer. Uh, so then what are we getting into? Like Alzali, I start to wonder about him against lefties. Uh, there's probably, is there someone I'm missing? Are, are you going to start putting Jeremiah Estrada in these? Uh, in these, I wouldn't put him in those situations. So then I, I just start to wonder, where are you going here? Who's who's your closer? Who's going to close out games for you? Mark Leiter is great. I like what Mark Leiter's done. I don't think he's a closer. I, I mean, I think you have to kind of. Well, especially because you want to have him available for certain spots yeah. and Brandon Hughes has looked good. Like it looks like Brandon Hughes uh, has figured out whatever was wrong with him. Uh, maybe he's the guy. I don't know. Uh, but I'm just saying like, there's no obvious answer. I know fans love Keegan Thompson. I'm telling you there's a reason he's being used the way he's being used. It just, it, it seems pretty obvious. People are like, why can't he go longer? Why doesn't Ross push him? Go look at the pitch count. I think Ross knows what he's doing here. I think Ross may know his body and and what Keegan Thompson can handle more than the public does. Like it's just it's pretty clear that what he's sticking to and what what kind of pitch count he's keeping him at and how he's using him. Yeah, I don't think we'll see Michael Fulmer in a closing situation anytime soon. I also wouldn't be surprised if he winds up being a really good pitcher for the Cubs this year. I mean, that's his track record. Uh, he was a really accomplished starting pitcher. Uh, I inside of it, I probably over exaggerate some of this stuff, but like we give him credit for, you know, he messes up. He's right there. Just answers the questions. You know, I got to figure this out pretty damn quick or whatever he said. Like there's a refreshing kind of uh, veteran perspective and baseline of experience there. But, you know, if you don't have a closer and you don't have like that, like, true number one starting pitcher who's going to throw 200 innings. I do kind of wonder like what the effect's going to be the deeper we get into the season. Like if you're kind of obviously drew smiley almost through a perfect game, but I'm not really kind of counting on seeing that type of performance too often. And, you know, I do think there's a cumulative effect here of if the Cubs don't quite get the innings from their rotation, obviously Jamison Tyone's, on the injured net list. Uh, Hayden Wisniewski simply just has been unimpressive after an extremely impressive spring training and September call up last year. Um, maybe Kyle Hendricks gets back a little faster than we thought, but even when he went into this kind of uh, deep dive into trying to transform himself, the idea was more like, you know, maybe we get, more quality, like 20 starts and not necessarily the length every time, but, you know, just real kind of quality and shorter bursts. So I think Brett, you, like I said earlier, you nailed it with this idea of the cracks are beginning to show and it's up to them to kind of fix it. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events. We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Yeah, you're doing uh, a fantastic job today, Mooney, of one, complimenting me, which is just... That is 
I mean, it's a very difficult thing to do, but you're pulling it off with a plum. And then also setting up these transitions because I think, you know, it's not, I'm not um, making a grand proclamation to say that there's always a relationship between your rotation and your bullpen, but this rotation and this bullpen in a lot of ways was, was constructed with some shorter outings in mind and some of those middle innings going to multiple inning relief guys. Um, it was not necessarily constructed with this very prototypical seven, eight, nine inning guys. And I think Sahadev's right that if, if Fulmer isn't the ninth inning guy, th- this is why, by the way, even though the Cubs never named him the closer, it was very easy to for us to conclude, uh, you know, two thirds of the way through spring training that those initial save opportunities were going to Michael Fulmer because you could just sort of evaluate each guy uh, and say, you know what, I think it's probably got to be him. Um, Gut says, by the way, that it's going to be Boxberger for a bit. I think, you know, all else equal, if everybody's rested, if it lines up, and you need to save guy. I think it's probably going to be him for a little bit just because I, I, I suspect leaning on the experience is going to be the go. Um, but I also agree that you're right, that he doesn't look quite locked in right now and, and maybe he gets there. We'll see. Uh, but circling back to, to the relationship, to the rotation here, you know, it's another area where just like in the bullpen, the Cubs had quality depth. You know, that was one of, I probably said quality depth 400 times during spring training. And I, it's not as if that wasn't true, but it, it, when you, when that matters is because like bad things happen and and we're in that zone right now, right? Where you've got Jameson Tyone hurt. Okay. So you've got to substitute for him. You've got Javier Assad who was sort of bounced between roles and he's not stretched out to be a starter right now. And he, and we didn't, know that he definitely could be an effective big league starter. You have Adrian Sampson, who had a, a really troubling uh, spring training and is now on the shelf at Iowa. And you have Hayden Wisniewski looking like he has things to work on to the point where it's you're starting to get close to where if the Cubs did have a ton of quality depth, you might start to say, you know, I think maybe some of these mechanical things would be better worked on in a, a, a more controlled environment than the big leagues. Um, and so I, I do want to be cautious about Kyle Hendricks return for precisely the reason Mooney said, it's not like he's coming back to be a front two guy in the rotation. Nobody should be expecting that the timing could be good. You know, if he, if he only needs two or three minor league rehabs, uh, starts from here, but in the meantime, the Cubs are going to have to do a little bit of patchwork stuff, um, to, cover not only Tyone's absence, but if Wesneski's only given you four innings, um, if Smiley, you know, he was incredible, obviously, on, on Friday, but um, he's usually a shorter outing guy. Uh, you know, God forbid anything would happen to Marcus Stroman or Justin Steele right now, because then your depth is really getting tested. And that's just, that's why you have it. But now is the time when the Cubs have to actually work through it. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it, it all seems to pile up at once, right? This is how last last season unraveled. Uh, you don't, you, you're right, if one more injury hits the rotation, uh, they're going to be in a bind. Because right now they can they can buy some time. I believe they're going to basically skip uh, the fifth starter. Uh, that was the vibe I got. I'm not sure if there was anything official, if, if there's been any official yeah, uh, starters announced. They have. For the, uh, yeah, the, the, the Padres series has been announced in it. It indicates if you do the math, they're going to need a fifth guy on Saturday. So they're going to skip it this week, but they'll need a fifth guy on Saturday. Yeah. Okay. Or a bullpen uh, game. 
Right. It'll be curious to see what direction they go, how they want to handle that. Uh, I'd be surprised if they're ready to call up Kyle Hendricks by then. Uh, he's he's due for a, a minor league start, right, so, Patrick? On it would be like it would timing would be like a Thursday, Tuesday. He just threw Saturday, and if he was around forty-five pitches uh, on Saturday, I really think he could just be one or two starts like it's kind of the idea of once you get to five and 75 you're pretty much ready and if he's already at three and 45 uh, maybe you do two Um, but it's just been we've heard it for a while now there hasn't been a whole lot of like well like we'll see how it goes like like no he's fully healthy like that's you know that doesn't mean he'll stay fully healthy forever but right. uh he's a lot closer and they're talking about him in optimistic ways that the cubs usually don't talk about injuries this way and when ross says he hit a lot of check marks for us uh on saturday i think that's a pretty good sign and i think you know if this were happening two months from now maybe a little longer uh would be a, there'd be different names in the conversation, right? Ben Brown has gotten off to a great start at Double A. I don't think they're gonna, you know, pull that lever right now. But two months from now, maybe they would, right? If if uh, Jordan Wicks uh, were locked in in June or July, maybe he'd be ready for a call up uh, to the big leagues. Uh, so those are those are names to like keep tabs on for later in the season if they need starting pitching but right now i yeah samson hitting the il uh, uh is caleb killian uh, still on the why, radar why Assad, not, i you know what well, caleb so killian could be an option i guess he he hasn't the, been the rub terrible with, yeah and he might be the he might be that guy on saturday cuz sorry to jump in but i mean yeah. when when you are looking at the 40 man roster for if it's truly a one-off fill-in start that you pretty much could pull anybody who's on the 40 man. Even, even if you don't believe Killian is ready, for example, you might just right. say, well, that's what we have a bit. Cause it can't be, you guys are implying it already, but for those who don't know, it can't be Javier Assad again, because he was optioned. He's got to wait 15 days unless he's replacing a newly injured player. So it can't be him. Um, the thing with Killian is that he had a, brutal first outing at Iowa. Um, and now he has seemed to steady himself in his subsequent outings, but he doesn't miss bats. Right. And that is, it's a bit alarming with a guy with the, who has developed the raw stuff that he has now, which is, it looks eye popping at times, but when a guy is not missing bats at all at triple a with that stuff, that's that generally kind of throws up my concern radar. Yeah, I'm curious how he's pitching because, I mean, remember, that's how he was when he was at his best. He wasn't missing a ton of bats when he was having success. But this is extraordinarily low, I believe. I think it's like zero or one strikeout uh, per game, per start there. And that's it's not ideal. Uh, I mean, that's that's hard to it's almost hard to do at times. Uh, so but I mean the choices become limited the depth that's just why you i mean it's so ridiculous you talk about the depth and then it suddenly gets you know all of a sudden it's like oh what where's that depth now uh i mean i mean it's kind of like a, a domino effect here where keegan didn't look right coming in, like towards the end of spring so they wanted a multi-inning guy so okay assad looks great let's let's get him into the bullpen now he's not stretched out and frankly he didn't look that great out of the bullpen. Uh 
and and you need to get him stretched out. He's not fully stretched out to be, you know, a, a factor in this right now. Samson's hurt. Killian is just not really right or doesn't look like he's he should be he's at the top of his game. So I, I think it maybe that's who it ends and up Elias, being. But Elias is oh, not yeah. on the forty man, so there's that too. Yeah. So there I mean yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. I, I don't think they're uh, – I think this is a, a stretch where you got to have to get through and win some games and maybe the offense can stay hot and the pitching can give you enough type stuff before it really gets locked in. With Wesneski, I, I'm trying not to uh, jump to too many conclusions. I get what you're saying, Brett. Like sometimes maybe you uh, – it'd be nice to be able to figure this out in the minors for him. Or, or you know, get it, get it right somewhere else. Uh, my thing is, is I think people were reacting similarly to Justin Steele at the start of last year, right? And he he figured it out. He he got right, and and he's he's here now. Is it a different situation? Yeah, I think it should be treated as a different situation because that team was we knew what what they were and where they were headed. Uh, this team, I think the goal should be focusing not on just player development. Player development is always important, but winning is the number one thing. Last year, I think you could say while the players and Ross would never admit it, like player development should have been the number one goal last year. And and I can understand riding through Justin Steele. So you can have that debate. Do, uh, Justin Steele, like pushing through Justin Steele's struggles, helped him grow and become the pitcher that he is now. But is it worth pushing through the struggles right now for Wisniewski when you're trying to win and you're trying to compete for a playoff spot? That's probably the internal debate that they have to figure out the value of how far away is Wisniewski? What are the specific issues? Uh, he believes he's figured out some cues with the slider. Uh, I think some of it may be a little bit of me- mental uh, stuff that he needs to get ironed out. Um, other than that, you know, I, I don't think. I don't think he's light years away, but it certainly doesn't look right. And I also think that Oakland was a nice step and the Dodgers game could have been significantly worse. I like how aggressive Ross is when he pulls guys at certain times and tries to keep games close. But yeah, that there's there's something off there that you want to see him try and, and get right. And just circling back to the Dodgers series, like the Dodgers found ways to to win and they looked uh totally overmatched in the Drew Smiley almost perfect game but they won the other three and obviously you know I think Nico Horner was right when he said you know I felt like all three of those games we lost were winnable games and that they just made more winning plays down the stretch and that's true but like at a certain point you have to do it and maybe that is what's hot if saying of this offense has looked pretty good and maybe Dansby Swanson starts hitting home runs and say Suzuki, I don't think he's like totally locked in yet, obviously after a shortened spring training and kind of a rushed rehab assignment. And, you know, this would be a good time for Justin Steele to pitch like a top of the rotation starter or to continue to, I should say. And so um, I also think it's interesting. Like the Cubs talk a lot about, uh, they're great vibes and all the hardware in our clubhouse and all of our pitching depth. And it's like, well, now's the time to see it. Like, you, like if all those things are true, like that will be very apparent. You won't have to tell us at all. We will see it uh, on a nightly basis. Big opportunity for that this week that is hauntingly similar to 
the Dodgers insofar as you've got a Padres team coming in that is not performing, you know, they aren't bad by any stretch, but they aren't performing the way that they would have thought uh, at this point in the season. They've got some guys who are not hitting yet. Um, and you don't want them to get right at Wrigley Field against the Cubs. And so um, we will see how this series goes. Um, but, you know, again, the benchmark for me is still going to be, do the Cubs look competitive against a team like this? Um, will I be happier if they take two of three? Yes. Will I be despondent if they lose two or even potentially get swept? Not necessarily. <laughs> yes, you will. Um, yeah. That's what I say. Yeah. Again, that cannot go unchecked. You know, I mean, this is. <laughs> oh, it's it's unfortunate in that regard that we will record uh, our next episode Thursday morning, so you won't have a chance. You know, if we recorded like Friday night. And I'm just like throwing shit all around my office. Like, this team. Or if they, you know, were to win three games or something, like they're unstoppable, baby. Uh, yes. This, that is an occupation. Just like the Pirates. Just, they, they, boy. If the Cubs could beat the Padres, I think maybe they could beat the Pirates. Uh, all right. This is On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. Get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. This is Sahada Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Get theirs at The Athletic. We appreciate you as always listening. And like I said, we'll be back at you on Thursday to talk more Cubs. Take care. 